Welcome to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Each one of us has a varied and unique story to tell, but few of us delve into the details, and fewer create a detailed memoir that describes intimate aspects of who we are. The Territory of Man is a detailed and intimate expose written by Joelle Fraser, a former Mendocino Community College English instructor. Written as a series of short episodes and adventures, Joelle shares the life of a woman who was raised in the hippie atmosphere of the 1970s and is now an accomplished writer and teacher. I spoke with Joelle Fraser just as she was beginning a tour to talk about her new book, The Territory of Men. Having written about her life with obvious consideration as to who she was and is, I began our conversation by asking her how she would describe who she is now. Joelle, what prompted you to write such a personal and revealing memoir? Uh, it goes from your early childhood through your adolescence, uh, through your young and, and middle adulthood, uh, telling very intimate details about yourself. Where does this come from in your spirit to, um, to say it? That's a good question. I mean, and I wake up at 3 in the morning right now, most nights, and go, what have I done? You know, because uh, all my friends and family are reading it. And in the beginning, it was such a private enterprise for me. I would write alone in coffee shops and in my house and, and just write these things. And I knew that if I thought about publication, thought about people reading this, exposing myself to the public, that that would inhibit me and I wouldn't be able to write. So I consciously put all those thoughts out of my mind. And, and that's why I think the book is so exposing of myself, because I did that. Now, of course, I'm entering the public phase and, uh, you know, kind of um, these are the repercussions of it. Um, and why did I do it? I guess uh, I, my mom's a therapist, and I grew up in a, a therapy-oriented environment around her where it was okay to talk about things. She used to take me to 12-step program meetings, AA, and that kind of thing. I'd go with her as a teenager after she got sober when I was 14. And I was used to hear people pour their hearts out for years, and I and I admired people's courage for saying who they were, opening up their hearts and saying, these are my weaknesses, these are my goals, these are my dreams and disappointment. I, I admired those people so much. 
and I aspired to be like that myself. And I and as you know, I believe writing is an art, and to be a true artist, I think you have to not flinch at the truth and at things that are embarrassing. Um, and and that's that's why I wrote it so raw. Tell us about some of the practices that uh, you use to refine your art. Oh, my main tool is reading. I read voraciously. I read um, the best writers that I can, and constantly. I also watch a lot of films, um, movies. I like to watch good movies and blockbuster movies, too, in, in order to see, you know, how do they pace things? How do they move from scene to scene? How do they keep that interest going? Um, so I'm always reading and uh, watching movies and reading poetry, um, going to plays, uh, just trying to see how other people do their art as well. I go to museums. Um, and um, I don't know. As far as technique, I work with a writing group a lot, and I have a person that we exchange work, and we talk about uh, our work together, and I get insight and feedback onto you know where, where a word doesn't work or you know, where something's confusing, and, and so I'm constantly collaborating with people and getting feedback. How come you wrote this as a memoir instead of crafting it into a novel? Well, the main thing, I think, it was just my own skill level with, with nonfiction was so much higher. I wasn't, I don't have a lot of experience with fiction. I mean, I read it, but I, I didn't really take any classes in it, and I, I never wrote many short stories, but, you know, my BA is in journalism. I started out as a reporter. And so for years I worked at a newspaper and, and I did PR work and and I just felt really comfortable writing nonfiction and facts. And so when I got into creative writing, it was a perfect blend of journalism and and creative writing to do what they call literary journalism or creative nonfiction. Um, it was just a great match for me, and so felt really comfortable doing it. Um, and then now I'm writing a novel, so I'm I'm doing fiction now and feeling. Uh, so free. I really love it. This week on Radio Curious, we're talking with Joelle Fraser, the author of a new book called The Territory of Men. It's a memoir about her life as a uh, child, young woman, and an adult, some of which takes place in Mendocino County. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Joelle, could you read us some uh, portions of The Territory of Men? I'd like to. Um, I picked out an essay called Wired, and it's in the latter, latter half of the book where I'm talking about one of my stepfathers. And it's, I'll just read a couple of pieces from it. Okay. Because uh, that means I'm skipping around a little bit. Okay. We take 44 West through stands of ponderosa pine that recede from view like drawn curtains as we pass, revealing sparse herds of cattle feeding on meadow grass. Late July morning, clear skies. It could be an ordinary weekend drive in the country, some quality father-daughter time. But he's not my father. He's my stepfather, my mother's fourth husband. She met him as he was finishing nearly a decade in the Nevada prison system for armed robbery. And for three years, they couldn't move to California because he wasn't yet allowed to cross the state line. But now Steve can go anywhere he wants. And on this day, he's searching for telegraph lines that run along the Southern Pacific Railroad tracks. He's going to teach me how to steal copper wire. From November through March, he saw good lines as he cleared snow on Lassen County roads, deep in the mountains of northeast California. I thought of him on those cold, frigid days, driving that plow, shoving through tunnels of snow piled high as walls, the winter light dive-bar dim. 
He brought home the minimum wage and handed it to my mother. When he saw those lines, it must have reminded him of the old days when he didn't work for anyone, when he took what he wanted, when he was free. For a long time, I wouldn't have taken off alone with Steve, not 30 miles into the mountains. He scared me at first, even after they'd married. And as much as I don't want to admit it, sometimes he still does, even after seven years. He's tall and broadly built and handsome despite a face scarred from the mace left to fester in his eyes overnight in a jail cell. His hair's thinning, but otherwise you wouldn't know he's past 50. He's strong and he looks it, and when he walks into a room, even other men give him a little room. When my mother introduced me to him, I wasn't surprised. She never liked the dainty, bespectacled type. She was wildly attracted to Steve, and I thought, Christ, even in her 50s, she's showing no signs of slowing down. He was exactly the kind of man my mother has always been drawn to, masculine good looks, an air of dangerous mystery and quiet intelligence, a man who carried a weary strength that she could draw from and replenish. Still, none of the other men have had Steve's intense perceptiveness. Those dark eyes take you in, all your motives and fears and insecurities. He learned this skill in prison, and it saved his life more than once. It's unnerving to be on the receiving end. I've caught him observing me as I sweet-talk my mother or try to justify yet another change of plans, and it's as if he knows what I'm doing before I do. For years, no one talked about Steve's past, at least not in front of me. I'd come home from holidays and hear him and my mother mention someone who'd been inside, or he'd comment on something about prison in the news, but it was always a hushed thing, never explained. To me, it seemed impolite to acknowledge his years in prison. It would have been like asking the details of a chronic illness. I knew he preferred to keep it hidden, the same way he chose shirts with sleeves long enough to cover his prison tattoos. It's been almost 25 years since he's scouted a line. I don't, don't ask him what I really want to know. I want to know if he'll ever leave, if he'll get tired of the shit jobs and the routine and the bills, the cutesy Christmas dinners, if he'll get tired of people like me wondering of the look in our eyes. I wonder if one day an old friend will call from Alaska or Montana and offer him some kind of deal. I want to know if he'll leave my mother, leave her for this. She loves him with a conviction I've never seen in her. For once, I'm willing to trust that she's settled down. I want to believe that she can. How do I know he's changed, that he's not the man he was? He's different than before, it's true, but I've seen men leave for less, and I've done my own share of leaving. I know how easy it can be. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Joelle, when you uh, tell these personal and intimate stories about your family, what is the reaction? There's mixed reactions. Some people are totally supportive of me and and think what I'm doing is very brave, and other people are incredibly wary. Uh, I almost lost a relationship with my brother over this book because of the things I share about our father who was an alcoholic and who died of cirrhosis a couple of years ago. Um, but we've been able to work through that. And what, I think what writing a memoir does is it forces you to face your family. I mean, uh, there are things I probably would never have talked to some family members about ever in my life, but the book has forced me to do it. What are some of those things? Well, with my brother, it brought up things about our father that we didn't talk about. The, the fact that he and I drank with our father, and even though we knew that he was drinking himself to death, we would still meet my dad in bars and drink with him. Um, I think as children, trying to make it feel more normal, that was how we dealt with it. You know, we were young and confused. 
And that was something we both carried uh, around as our own shame that we did that instead of saying to our father, hey, um, let's get to an AA meeting, let's do something here, you're, you're dying. Instead, we, we just um, ignored it and did that denial thing that you do in, with, alcohol, with alcoholism. And so that's something we confronted. That was great. With my mother, a lot of things from the past um, I probably wouldn't want to talk, to talk to her about, but this forced me to do it. And Random House, the book that I'm publishing with, or the publisher I'm with, they had to spend an hour with her, the legal department, and ask her all through the book, is this true, is that true? And, and you know, that was difficult for her to do. Um, but I think that she... Well, she and I one night stayed up till 3 in the morning. I mean, we just cried and got through it and um, faced the things that I never really wanted to talk about, the, the, the parenting things that she did and my reactions to them that were kind of, you know, crappy as a young girl. We were able to get, go talk through it. And um, How's your relationship with your mother now? Now it's great. I mean, she comes to a lot of my readings, and, I, you know, I dedicated the book to her and my father. She's in the acknowledgments. And it's hard, though. What this does is it keeps bringing it up for us. I mean, most people, you, you look at the past, you talk about it, and hopefully you put it behind you. Well, when the memoir comes out and every review that comes out mentions something about, okay, I was smoking pot at age three and my mother was, you know, taking me to hot tub parties, and this kind of thing keeps getting brought up, and I'm bringing it up again yet as I speak, you know. So it, it's like a wound that's going to be open for a year probably while this public process of the book goes through. She hasn't even read the whole book cover to cover yet because she's waiting till she has some time to deal with it. You don't mention your mother's name until almost the very end of the book. How come? I really didn't have a reason. I think to me she was my mother and, and now as an adult I can see her as a woman as someone named Carol. But the earlier sections she was just, you know, my mother and that's how I referred to her or my mom. But she's, she is so lovely and wonderful. I'm so happy to have her in my corner. I don't think I could have written it without her support. I wouldn't want to lose her over this, you know. It doesn't sound like you have uh, breached that relationship at all. No, no, we haven't. It'll, it'll make us stronger in the end. There's no doubt about it. It already has. Though my father, if he hadn't died, I probably wouldn't have written the book. Why? Oh, because my first, I had an essay published in Ziziva in 1998 in which I called him a drunk and a gambler. And it was this it's a literary journal. I never thought he'd he'd see it, but his ex-wife gave it to him, and he didn't talk to me for six months. My father just didn't understand what I was doing, and uh, he would never have been okay with this book, and I would never have done it if he had been alive to see it. I just would have waited or written something else. Well, Joelle, with the revelations about who you are where you've been and, and what you've done set forth in your book. How does this affect relationships with uh, the people you meet, the men you date, the people you may work with? Oh, you know, it's, it's, it's hard to say because it's happening right now. Um, I am currently single, and I've, I'm on a relationship hiatus. I've done that for about six months. I just don't want to date at all. But I am realizing that someday I will, uh, probably again, <laughs> And it makes me real nervous because I'm pretty sure that anybody I would date would, would have found out about the book and would read it. And I feel like that puts them in sort of this unfair advantage, you know. I think maybe I should only date men who have written memoirs and then, then we can read each other's books. Or men who don't read. Or men who don't read, but I, you know, I, I, that would be hard for me to be with someone who didn't read. Um, well, how does this affect your relationships with people now? 
um, I'm seeing how they're developing. It's, it's kind of nerve-wracking because the book just came out and a lot of my family is reading it as we speak, and I get these email dispatches, like, I'm on to page 40, I'm loving it, and then I don't hear from them, from them for two days. And I think, oh, my God, they've gotten to the adult passages. They're, they're reading about my, my affairs and, you know, my marriage, and, and now they're horrified, you know, and I have this tension, and then I'll get an email and I'll feel relieved. But the thing is I've just got to relax and and let it go because um, it's out of my hands now. I think once you write a book, it, it takes on a different life. It's no longer yours. It's it's the world's, and people are going to see things the way they see it. I have no control over that anymore. And in some ways, I feel like I'm free-falling, and if I lose friends or family over what I've written, that, that's that's the price that I have to pay for what I've done to tell my story, which is what something I felt like I had to do. I didn't. This wasn't fun. Writing this for two years um, was a grueling experience. Yet uh, you've mentioned that everything in this book is accurate and true. Absolutely. I did a lot of interviewing of the early stuff. My mom gave me her journals from her 20s, and I interviewed my aunts who were there in houseboat days in Sausalito and, you know, the stuff I couldn't really remember. But everything in it's true. The names are changed of the men I've dated or had relationships with. I changed some details there to protect them. Although some of them will probably, if they if they get a hold of it, you know, there's one guy I'm really worried about because he's going to realize that I was having a major affair on him when we were together, and I feel awful about that because I'm no longer like that. That was in my 20s, and and so well, maybe he was doing that to me for all I know. <laughs> Joelle, can you give us an example of what someone you might date? would or could read in your book? Sure. Um, this is a portion from an essay called The Winemaker, and I'm just going to go right into the middle of it. He and I have just gone to dinner, and it's after dinner, and we're quite drunk and uh, full from some elaborate meals, okay? And this is set in the wine country of California, in Sonoma. He drives fast, curving through dark back roads of vineyards, stereo blasting, and I laugh as he sings out loud. I stick my arms through the sunroof and wave at the stars. At the winery, we climb into the jacuzzi and he peels off my bra and panties in the water, and we have sex, then again a while later on a chaise lounge in the courtyard. The night air is still warm, and the heat held by the terracotta tiles feels good against my bare feet, my hands. It is slow the way he tastes me here and there and there. He takes little bites and holds my flesh between his teeth, lightly, as if I'm something to savor. Through the haze of sex and wine, I think of the other women who must have been here before me. The faint pangs of shame threaten like rain in the distance, coming steadily closer. I know it's too soon to be with him, that he'll disrespect me, that this will cost me. But I know even more that the act of sex will bind me to him, that I'll want this again and again. And I think to myself, another man's arms. Later, still naked and damp and laughing, we make our way barefoot down a trail to his wine cellar, cut into the slope of the hill like a well-hidden cave. There, thousands and thousands of European, South American, and Australian wines are arranged neatly as a library of books. He is so proud, I can see, of this fabulous collection, of this nude woman as witness. The climate-controlled air ripples our skin, and we press against each other as he opens a bottle of Burgundy made from grapes grown in France before I was born. From the essay, San Francisco... This essay I wrote in second person um, because 
at this point in the writing of it, it was getting too close and too difficult for me to write in first person. So it's just one paragraph. You like to reveal yourself slowly, if at all. You've always preferred sleeping at your lover's apartments and sleeping alone in yours. You like the idea that your smell and the outline of your body remain in their beds after you've gone, that they could not sleep without you even when you'd left. Even when they wash the smell of you from their sheets, the memory of your weight, the small of your back against their stomachs, the hardness of your heels would linger while they slept. And you loved equally to come home to your own bed, free of them and anything they wanted. What was difficult about writing that for you? Well, that was one of the, that's kind of a tamer passage in that, in that essay. Um, it was difficult to, to, to write that because it was at the point in my life when I was most disconnected from people, especially men. I just could not um, get intimate with men emotionally. And in that essay, I'm, it's, it's probably the pinnacle of, of how far and removed I was from, from relationships and emotions. And after that, there was a turning point, and that happened when my father started to get sick, and I did a lot of inner work dealing with um, my parents. But I think that the essay was so difficult because it, it was the pinnacle of, of how far I had gotten from, from intimacy, basically, and I just felt very alone and alienated. And in order to write that essay, I had to get to that place again. I had to feel it all over again, and, and that's why this memoir has been so difficult to write, because in order to write it well, you have to kind of wallow in memories and feelings for sometimes weeks at a time, you know, and that's a painful place to put yourself. I mean, memories are hard to deal with, painful ones, but then to, deal with, but then to dwell on them for a month, writing on them day after day, um, it's almost like a form of masochism in some ways. How do you feel now? at the cusp of going on a nationwide tour to uh, talk about your past life? I feel, I feel okay about it. I feel like I'm, I've grown a lot. I feel that um, I'm, I can't say the book healed me, but it was, it was very, very cathartic to write about these things and to see my mistakes, to see, see the harm that I've done, um, the harm I've done to myself, and to go and talk about it. I'm hoping that some other, maybe younger women, will see themselves in me, and uh, that maybe they'll be able to recognize that and 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 stop stop looking for love in in the territory of men only, and and see that it's okay to be to be alone and to not have to always rely on men. Um, I'm hoping that that my story will help others some way. Maybe some people have had alcoholic parents. Maybe that my story might help them too. So I feel good. Um, I just feel a little vulnerable. That's all. Looking at uh, what you've written and what you've obviously learned from what you've written, how do you see the future of your life? Where are the directions in which you wish to lead yourself? Oh, I definitely want to keep writing. Um, that's why I'm writing the novel that I'm writing. I'm absolutely thrilled doing this. Uh, it's all I want to do, and I'd rather just stay here and write. Can you tell us about that novel? Oh, yeah, just briefly. It's set in the coastal mountain range of Oregon and in the logging country, and it's a dark lead story, but there's lots of layers, and um, I'm tying it a lot to, to land and the logging history, 
and and how people are connected to certain tragedies that that happen on the land. And I'm doing a lot of research for it and learning a lot um, about the environment and logging and the, the politics and economics of that industry and uh, just trying to be real open-minded to all the characters and all the people. And, uh, you know, it's not going to be any kind of didactic book, uh, although I am a, definitely an environmentalist. Joelle, uh, Radio Curious's home is in Mendocino County, California, and yeah. you lived here for a period of time and uh, taught at Mendocino College. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell us about some of your experiences here in this area. You know, I love that area. I miss it a lot. Um, I lived right in the heart of Ukiah, um, and I used to write at the copy critic about every day, and a lot of people would see me in there, and they'd come up and say, I see you in here all the time, and I'd be scribbling away in the corner. For about two years, that that was sort of my office because I didn't have air conditioning in my house, and I, you know, I'd have to get out. And uh, teaching at the college was great. The people in that area are, uh, they're just wonderful people. And I used to go to the coast a lot. I just, it's just the most beautiful, glorious country that I've seen, actually. And if if I could, I'd like to move back to the area and get some, you know, some acreage and get a cabin and you know, keep writing. That's what that that would be my dream come true. Well, Joelle Fraser, I want to thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. And before we close, I would like to ask you to tell us about an interesting book that you've read lately. Well, I'd love to. Um, the book I'm reading is called uh, Last Stand, and it's uh, a riveting expose of environmental pillage and a lone journalist's struggle to keep faith. And I'm reading it in preparation for the novel. And it's about this journalist who was kind of a whistleblower in uh, Montana's logging country, and it's just uh, it's a beautiful memoir about his struggle to, you know, he lost his job at the paper, he was fired, and, and, but he wrote this book about his experience, and I, I think he's one of the bravest men I've ever known. I haven't met him, but through his book, I feel like I know him. It's a great blend of memoir and journalism and testimony and just faith, and it's, it's got a lot of suspense in it, too. And, and so it's called Last Stand. It was written about 10 years ago, and his name's Richard Manning. Joelle Fraser, thank you very much for joining us on Radio Curious. Thank you. It was fun. Joelle Fraser is the author of The Territory of Men. The book that she recommends is The Last Stand by Richard Manning. Copies of this and other editions of Radio Curious are available. There are over 750 archives on our website. RadioCurious.org and I'm honored to tell you that Radio Curious is now part of the collection at the Library of Congress. We appreciate your cards, ideas, and letters and do enjoy hearing from you. The email is curious at RadioCurious.org The postal address is 700 West Smith Street Ukiah, California 95482 The phone is 707-621-5075. Ignacio Ayala is the assistant producer. I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.